Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today I'm going to be talking to Andy Griffith of a fairly new pro-life organization called Pro-Life Man. Now, as a pro-life man, I obviously have an automatic interest in what this organization is up to. But I also think that it's particularly interesting to consider the fact that although for years abortion groups have claimed that the pro-life movement is dominated by men, my experience in the pro-life movement over the last 10 or so years is that the opposite is actually true, Uh, that almost every major pro-life organization is prominently run by women. Uh, When we have applications to our pro-life internships here in Canada, we often have roughly 90 to 10 breakdown women versus men. Uh, It strikes me that most of the people on campus clubs, pro-life campus clubs here in Canada, uh, are female. And so as such, I've never really quite understood the accusation that the pro-life movement is is predominantly dominated by men. There's that famous protest sign that surfaced in the 70s and is still used now. I've seen it at um, counter-protests, pardon me, uh, that... Uh, 77% of pro-life leaders are men and 100% of them can get pregnant. And I just don't see that on the ground. Uh, I see the movement predominantly um, being a female-led movement. And I've spent a lot of time and poured a lot of ink into exploring why that's the case. I've seen that the rise of pornography addiction has really sidelined a lot of men and prevented them from speaking out on an issue that they should be speaking out on. I've had men admit this to me, that the reason they're not doing pro-life activism, the reason they're not engaging is because uh, their private guilt is preventing them from engaging in public hypocrisy. And so instead, they're just sort of abandoning the field of battle and the culture wars rather than dealing with the addiction that they need to deal with. And so there's a lot of different aspects to to the subject of male involvement in the pro-life movement. And some of you may remember my interview uh, earlier with with Cameron Cote, my colleague and the co-host of the show, The Pro-Life Guys, which is a great podcast. And today we're going to be talking to Andy Griffith, Andy Griffith of, of Pro-Life Man to kind of get uh, into the details of what their organization is up to, the sorts of men they're talking to, and what sort of need he sees in the pro-life movement. So without further introduction, this is my conversation with Andy Griffith. Start off by maybe uh, introducing yourself to our listeners, because those who have been following the podcast consistently will have heard a couple of dozen different interviews with various pro-life leaders. Uh, But you and your organization are trying something different. It's quite unique. I've never heard of something like this before. So maybe give our our, our listeners just a bit of your background and then uh, the the pro-life project you've embarked on. So my name is Andy Griffith. And just to get it out of the way, first of all, yes, that really is my name. Um, and yes, my mom loves me. Uh, this isn't some sick practical joke uh, from my parents. Um, just a happy accident, shall we say. So I'm from Southeast Michigan. I'm 34 years old. I've been married for 11 years and have a wonderful nine-year-old daughter. My background has been in the medical field and currently work at a major um, university hospital in Michigan. And the project that I started is Pro-Life Man. Pro-Life Man has two main missions. The first mission being to encourage men to be a voice for preborn sons and daughters. And our second mission is to provide help and healing for men grieving abortion. I want to follow back on that first mission, and we purposely use that language of preborn sons and daughters. Uh, we use that language on purpose to help rehumanize the babies that are in the womb. You know, they're not embryos, they're not fetuses, 
Um, they are scientifically, from the moment of conception, sons and daughters, or son or a daughter. Um, also, by using that language of sons and daughters, it kind of subconsciously puts in the back of your head that there's not just a, a mother involved, but also a father, because every son and every daughter has both a mother and a father. And then our second mission, we didn't start out the organization with this mission. Um, it was a need that we found um, over time, and that was providing help and healing for men grieving abortion. And so what we found is over time, men have been reaching out to us and saying, hey, I have an abortion in my past and I've been really struggling with it. And it's been X number of years. And I still can't get it out of my mind. I think about it every day. And I'm just looking for some sort of help or counseling. And, uh, you know, we hear from men from both sides of the spectrum, you know, both the man that the abortion was against his will, you know, so his wife or girlfriend or partner decided to have an abortion against his will. And, you know, oftentimes he even begged her not to, and she went ahead with it anyways. Obviously, those men um, are experiencing a ton of grief by having their child aborted against their will. But also we hear from the men that, you know, they maybe forced the abortion on their girlfriend or partner or coerced them or, you know, paid for it or threatened to leave them if they didn't have an abortion, stuff like that. And now years later, they regret that decision. They regret doing that and they regret the, that lost child. And we take a compassionate approach to those men. We're not condemning them and beating over the, them over the head with hammers. It's actually a gospel-centered approach that we take to our second mission. We actually have a specific name for that program. It's called Fort Hope is the name of that healing program. So well, where are you located and, and what sort of things have you seen happen between 2018 and now, which of course covers the couple of pandemic years, which is a rough time to get a nonprofit started, but, but give us a bit of uh, the lay of the land and, and kind of describe what the organization looks like to people who wouldn't, uh, who wouldn't be familiar with it. Our presence is largely online. So we're on social media, Facebook, Instagram, some of the new, uh, more conservative social media accounts, we're getting active on those as well. Um, Gitter and Parler. So we try to post daily and we're either making memes that um, prove a pro-life point or we're just posting general rebuttals to common pro-choice and pro-abortion arguments. Um, we also have a website, prolifeman.org, and we do YouTube videos um, where we re rebut uh, common pro-choice and pro-abortion myths and lies. Um, also on our website, we have a blog post where, again, we rebut those pro-choice myths and lies. You know, what's pretty unique about us, one, like you mentioned, um, we're going after men specifically. We want more men involved. And we think if a good amount of men join the pro-life movement, mm -hmm. that that will be the push that the pro-life movement needs to get Roe v. Wade overturned and to eventually get a personhood amendment to the Constitution to protect these preborn sons and daughters. So all of our marketing, if you will, and our image and our brand is all geared towards men and very masculine. Um, we also have kind of a military theme that runs through our organization. Um, a lot of men resonate with that military theme, even if they're not former military or active military themselves. And um, the other thing that's unique about us is we come at this argument from a medical science perspective. So all of the board members of Pro-Life Man happen to be licensed medical professionals. We didn't plan it that way. We didn't make that a prerequisite to join our board. It just happened that way. And I think we were six months into board meetings when we realized, oh, wow, we're, we're all licensed medical professionals. And so that includes men that are working in the EMS field. We have a couple uh, RNs that are also OB nurses. 
And then we have a, a nurse that's also a licensed counselor. All of our arguments, we tend not to argue from the Bible and from scripture, but we tend to use science and logic and, and, and medical science. Our references include embryology textbooks. Every embryology textbook recognizes that life begins at the moment of conception and all the building blocks for uh, a human being are there at the moment of conception, including uh, determining their sex. We really don't do in-person events. We show up at some uh, pro-life marches, including the DC march every year, but that's largely what we do is, is have that online presence. And again, with our main goal of using our material to help encourage men to be a voice for pre-born children. And one of our taglines is actually no longer silent. And just to explain that a little bit. So I was personally silent right before starting Pro-Life Man. You know, I was this more of like, hey, I'm personally pro-life. You know, I think it's murder. I don't want to abort a baby. But, you know, I don't want to put that, my view on other people, especially other women. You know, I was convinced by the pro-choice lies and the pro-choice talking points of, no uterus, no opinion, and my body, my choice. And, you know, I didn't never wanted to push my oppressive opinion on another woman, but I was personally pro-life. Well, I went through a moment in my life where I just had deep conviction about this issue. And that's when I decided I wanted to get more involved with the pro-life movement. And specifically, I was looking for a men's group to join and to get involved with. And so early 2018, I was looking for a pro-life men's group and I couldn't find one. You know, I had awareness of Knights of Columbus and, you know, how they're involved with pro-life work and ultrasound machines, but I'm personally not Catholic. And so I didn't feel like it was a good fit for me. And so outside of Knights of Columbus, I couldn't find anything. And that's actually what led to me starting Pro-Life Man. I actually went to prolifeman.org thinking that there was a website there it made sense to me that someone would already have made this website. And when there wasn't one, and there was a little ad in the corner that said, you know, buy this domain for $17 for the year. I thought, oh, what the heck, I'll buy it. You know, I had no clue what I was going to do. I had no plan. I remember coming home and telling my wife, you know, hey, I uh, bought a website today. And, you know, she's flabbergasted and goes, okay, why'd you do that? I don't know. Okay, what are you going to do with it? I don't know. You know, and it wasn't until uh, spending a few weeks thinking about it and realizing, you know, my situation probably isn't unique where I was silent on this issue. And one thing that I can do for this movement is I can encourage other men to take the same leap that I did and be no longer silent. So that's one of the uh, taglines that you'll see pretty common throughout our social media and on our website is no longer silent. I'm no longer silent on this issue, and I want other men to be no longer silent on this issue as well. What kind of actual um, success have you had in that regard? Because social media is one thing, but do you have a lot of guys that are reaching out to you to get involved as a result of your work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's one of the things that you know we, we are trying to figure out what can we do as an organization um, when those men reach out to say, hey, yeah, come join us. We're doing this over here. Come join us. Right now, you know, there's a lot of very practical things that any, any person can do, man or woman. And so the, the very first thing, and, and I think a very important thing, is be on the sidewalk outside of pregnancy centers. And so that's what we encourage men to do when they reach out to us, to be a compassionate and loving voice reaching out to women that are in a crisis pregnancy and be on that sidewalk um, outside of the Planned Parenthoods and the other uh, abortion facilities. And if you don't know how to do that and you're scared because you, you lack knowledge on how to do that appropriately, 
then we recommend a great organization called Sidewalk Advocates for Life. And they have a great pro-compassionate approach to women and they train people extremely well. You know, another thing that you can do is you can donate to pro-life organizations. That's one of the big discrepancies between your pro-abortion and pro-life organizations is finances. It's not even close. There's at least a billion dollars a year that are given to both Planned Parenthood and NARAL and all of their affiliates versus the best that I can calculate is a little over $30 million a year in revenue for pro-life agencies. And so over a billion versus 30 million, I mean, it's, it's not even close. It's definitely David and Goliath's type of story, you know, and that's one thing if, if a person feels that they can't go to a march or they can't stand outside of a clinic, well, everyone can, can give a dollar to a pro-life agency. So that's another thing that we recommend to men. And then the last thing that we recommend to them is take this whole mantra of no longer silent and have it be true for you every single day in your life. And that's how we're going to change culture and, and win the culture war, if you will, is, you know, when you're out with family and you're out with friends and you're at your job and this abortion topic comes up, you know, everyone's talking about it these days with all the different states passing all these pro-life laws. And don't, when that opportunity comes, you know, you don't have to be rude, don't have to be a jerk and, and yell at people, but also don't be silent and speak up for those children. Now you've talked you talked at the beginning about about post abortive men. Are they reaching out to you as a result of your social media appearances? We're also getting a lot of reach out from local crisis pregnancy centers. Um, in fact, that was really kind of the first time that it was introduced to me that this was a need. I had uh, some prayer time, and I felt that God was putting this on my heart to minister to these men to provide help and healing for them. And I'm not a gifted counselor in any way, shape, or form. That's not my, my strength or gifting. And so the next morning after I felt that I heard that from God, you know, I thought, I, I'm arguing with him, basically. And I said, you know, you're, you're crazy. You know, I'm not that guy. And an hour later, our local crisis pregnancy center down in Toledo, Ohio, they called me. Uh, they, had, they had known that I launched Pro-Life Man. And they said, hey, we've had a woman coming in here for counseling for the last six months. Um, post-abortive counseling. And her husband just walked in the door and he said that he's seen such a positive change in her life as a result of this counseling that now he wants post-abortive counseling as well. And the woman said, you know, I know you launched Pro-Life Man. And so I was wondering, you know, we could counsel him, we could do our best, but I thought it would be better if you guys as a men's organization counsel him. And so is that something that you do? I had to answer her, not yet, you know, because that was definitely to me, God confirming this call on our organization to go ahead and provide this service. And so we just recently went to the pro-life men's conference, the first ever pro-life men's conference that I know of. Uh, CareNet put that on down in Dallas, Texas, just a few weeks ago. And we had a booth there and we were advertising Fort Hope, um, our men's healing program. And the, the majority of the people in attendance are volunteers and workers at crisis pregnancy centers. And we were just overwhelmed with people coming to us, getting our materials about Fort Hope so that way they could refer men to us that walk in their door. And they all said they've had men walk in the door that needed this type of counseling and they do their best, but they're not always prepared to handle a post-abortive man. They don't, they don't even know what to do with a post-abortive man walking in the door usually. What was this uh, men's conference like? I know it was the first ever. I remember hearing it was taking place in Texas. What was this conference like? Yeah, it was really wonderful. Um, it was almost 600 men or, or a little over 600 men that gathered together. 
And uh, like I said, the vast majority of these men um, are volunteers or, or hired staff on local crisis pregnancy centers that are affiliated with CareNet. And so that's how they knew about the conference and that's how they got to the conference. And yeah, I mean, there were about eight vendors. Uh, we were one of the, the vendors there. And this was a day and a half of speakers covering a whole range of topics. And every speaker was just absolutely wonderful. I know all the men there were fired up. And, uh, you know, not to brag too much, but we were definitely the most popular booth um, at, at the conference. And, you know, we're a smaller and newer organization. And so not a lot of people know about us. And so a ton of men there were just thrilled to see us, that we existed. And, you know, that we had T-shirts that are actually masculine pro-life T-shirts. <laughs> what do you think is keeping men out of the pro-life movement? Because in my experience um, doing recruitment for the pro-life organization I work for and obviously working with a lot of guys in the pro-life movement and a couple of colleagues of mine run a, a podcast called the Pro-Life Guys Podcast. One of the difficulties is that so many men not only have participated in this, but uh, pornography is a huge problem that because so many men, including Christian men, are addicted to pornography or look at it frequently, that this prevents them from acting out the way they should in society at large because the guilt sort of keeps them sidelined. Do you, ha do you have any experience uh, with, with that issue, finding that a lot of men aren't getting involved because of their porn addictions? None that any man has admitted to me. I can see, though, how that would be a problem and a deterrence. And that's why we really focus on rehumanizing the children in the womb, because a lot of times that alone can be the convincing point or the convincing argument that a man in his own head will convince himself, yeah, I, I need to be a voice. You know, the other thing that, that I use a lot, that I say a lot, is I believe that when I die and I stand before my creator, that he's going to ask me about this issue. There's no way I feel like God is not going to ask each person what they did to defend the most defenseless and, and voiceless and weak people group among us. And that was one of the things that motivated me to be no longer silent is that thought of standing before my creator and giving, you know, excuses to him of why I didn't do more. And so now the work that I'm doing now, I'm 100% confident standing before him at the end of my life saying, I did everything that I could to save babies and also to encourage other men to do the same. That rehumanization of those children, that can be a powerful argument of like, hey, these aren't just a clump of cells that, you know, you don't need to worry about getting involved in. Th these are sons and daughters. These are children. And that argument can often um, compel men and convince men that, you know, they need to be protectors, which is what God calls us as men to be, and defenders of life. And that tends to get them more involved. So what are some of your key success stories then? If you've got post abortive men reaching out to you, um, if you're, you're, you're attempting now to address the need for, for people who will counsel men who have had abortions, whether uh, their partner had one that they didn't want them to have or whether they were responsible for, for coercing or pressuring. So give us uh, a few of your success stories that have really uh, invigorated you in this work. The biggest thing is getting these men healed. And I think I mentioned before, we have a gospel-centered approach. Uh, you know, Pro-Life Men as an organization does not have a Christian front. And like I said before, you know, we, we argue with science and logic and, and, and medical evidence. But when it comes to Fort Hope and healing men, as Christians, we don't know any other way to heal men other than through Jesus Christ. 
I, if a man says, hey, I want to be healed, but I don't want the gospel, I don't want Jesus Christ, I, I don't know what to do with them. And so we have a gospel-centered approach. And so to walk men through that and see them get healed and pray with them and see the aftermath of that is so fruitful and just a tremendous thing. I'm so thankful to be a part of that. And the beauty is almost every single time those men that come out the other side healed, the first thing that they want to do is do the same for other men. They now want to help other men. They now want to share their testimony and help other men. And so we've seen that, you know, and we, we've seen men broken, absolutely broken come to us. I had one man reach out that he had abortion 40 years ago, and he said he thinks about it every single day. And after the abortion, he ended up getting with a different woman, and they got married, and they had a couple kids, and he had daughters. And he always wanted a son and always begged God for a son. And he said, you know, the child that we aborted, we didn't know it's sex. He said, but I know in my heart of hearts, that was my son. And he just breaks down in front of me, just absolutely sobbing and yelling out, I killed my son. I killed my son. And so to walk him through our healing process that we've laid out using the gospel and to see that man on the other side restored and healed and now eager to go help other men. I mean, that's a beautiful thing to be a part of. And it's, it's humbling to be a part of that. Why do you think there's been such a gap in, in, in treatment for men? Because like the pro-life movement has now uh, been working on issues like this for, for more than half a century. Um, there's an extensive network of post-abortion counseling of, you know, post-abortion retreats, all of these things uh, for women. Why do you think the, the issue of men has been so ignored? Yeah, I think there's two reasons. One, I think they've just always wanted to to focus on women. And I think that's a righteous focus and a good thing. Obviously, um, women need a tremendous amount of healing uh, on this abortion topic. And so I think in the triage of recognizing needs, you know, I think rightfully women come first in that triage, if you will. That's first of all, people are wanting to to focus on women and make sure they're getting healing. I think that's wonderful and righteous. And then if anyone thinks about men, you know, the struggle is men that by their nature, you know, are internal with their wounds and with their hurts. Um, men by, by their nature, they don't like to be external and they don't like to share their hurts and their wounds. They don't like to break down. They don't like to look weak. And so those that have tried ministering to men in the past, it's a hard wall to break through. But where we've found success is the fact that our program is built for men and by men. And no offense to anyone or any organization that has tried to minister to these men in the, in the past, but they've always taken, first they've built the women's uh, post-abortive program, and then they try to make minor changes to adapt that towards men. In other words, they're not building something from the ground up, and that just doesn't work with men. You know, I remember seeing one particular organization who suddenly decided they wanted to reach out to these men. And they made a handbook for these men. And it was identical almost to the same handbook they have for women. And in fact, the cover of the handbook still had the same purple lavender flowers on it that they had designed for the women's handbook. And that's just not speaking to men. <laughs> and if a man was even thinking about um, maybe opening up and then you hand him this flowery handbook, you know, he's not going to want to open up to that. So again, not being too hard because their their hearts are in the right place of wanting to reach out to these men, but there just hasn't been a program out there that's adequately addressed them 
the way that they need to be addressed and the way that they want to be addressed. So do you have professional counselors talking to the men who actually, you know, have education in psychology, et cetera, or is this just men talking to other men who are reaching out? We do not have professional counselors, and that's why we are careful to not use that word counseling. So all of our materials say we want to provide help and healing for post-abortive men um, or for men grieving abortion. So no licensed counselors, so we don't want to use that word and, and mislead anyone. But we do have men that are trained in this healing. And our, uh, you may have heard of an organization called Save One. Save One has their second in charge, Jack Harper. He's uh, a great man. And we, the, our men have gone under training from him, as well as reading several books on healing the post-abortive men, including a book from Chris Rainey that some people may be uh, familiar with. Between our ministry training in the church and then trainings from Save One and reading these these post-abortion books, we've developed this plan and trained men. So no, not licensed counselors, but men really have a strong heart to see other men healed. Now, when you're looking at, at the future, so you've discovered this need, you've got men reaching out to you. Uh, what would you say your plan is for the next couple of years? Yeah, that's a great question, you know, especially looking at the world, the post-pandemic world and hoping that, you know, there's openings and we can start doing uh, more events. We want to get out there as much as possible because uh, in order to encourage men to be a voice, we have to be in front of their face encouraging them. And so we plan to be, you know, more active on social media, going to more events like the Pro-Life Men's Conference. We're actually hoping to partner with CareNet for future pro-life men's conferences. We'd like to see them be regional. So, you know, sure, one in Dallas, that's great. But let's do other parts of the country as well. Let's do Indianapolis, for instance. You know, let's do one out west. And just continue to be out there in front of men as much as possible um, to both encourage them to be a voice for preborn sons and daughters and to show men that need the healing, the post-abortion healing, to show them that there is a program out there for them that's built by men and you're being ministered to by other men. Could you share as a way of closing one story that you're particularly pleased about in your work? Because I know every pro-life activist uh, who does anything in this movement has a couple of stories that they use that are particularly encouraging. Do you have a, a story that stands out to you? You know, the biggest thing that that has moved me the most and, and at times brought me to tears is when we do events, like we've had booths at the March for Life in D.C. and uh, the booth at the men's conference. Uh, believe it or not, at the men's conference, there were some women. And the thing that happens over and over again is women actually coming up to us in tears, breaking down, thanking us for our work and thanking us for our existence and saying, I've been a part of the pro-life movement for 20, 30, 40 years and I've always wanted to see more men. And I've always had this longing and said, we need more men in this movement. We need some men to encourage other men to join this movement. The fact to see that pro-life man is a thing now and exists, you know, it just absolutely elates them. I mean, obviously, we get compliments from men and men saying that they're glad that we exist. They are the ones that we're there for. But that's what moves me the most is, is women saying, I've been waiting decades to see an organization like this come forward. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share this news about your project. Where can people find you guys? Our website is prolifeman.org. Also, we're on facebook.com slash prolifeman. And you can find Prolifeman searching in Instagram as well.
Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Andy Griffith of Pro-Life Man. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you'd like to listen to past shows or subscribe to future shows, please head over to lifesitenews.com. Click on the podcast tab. You can get our podcast wherever you get your content. Again, thanks so much for joining us this week, and we hope you'll join us again next week.